0: Psalm 37. And the title I've given to tonight's study is Striving to be Godly in an Ungodly World. Striving to be Godly in an Ungodly World. And before I read the psalm in its entirety, I want to emphasize the fact that Psalm 37 is a psalm that is instructional in nature. Some psalms, as we have seen, are prayerful in nature, filled with specific requests that are asked of God. Other psalms are worshipful in nature, filled with specific praises that are ascribed to God. And then we have psalms like this one that are instructive in nature, filled with specific exhortations that are aimed to stimulate our satisfaction in God And our joyful submission to his will. And said another way, you'll find as I read this psalm that God, through David, is preaching to us. And he is preaching to us with the aim that we might know the peace that he gives in the midst of life's problems. And once again, we find how vital preaching is for our sanctification, especially in the midst of trials and troubles. I know we live in a day where people like the impersonal, non-offensive, educational sermons that fill our heads with facts and information, but I want you to see here how needful it is for us to be exhorted through specific commands because that is exactly what true preaching involves. True preaching involves being told what God expects of us. True preaching includes being urged to put truth that we hear into practice. You see, true preaching is personal. True preaching is not aimed solely to the head, but is aimed to transform the whole of a man. It's aim, the aim of preaching, is to change your mind, your heart, your attitudes, and your actions. So as we come to God's Word tonight, we see that God is ultimately a preacher. God is preaching messages through other men. His Word is filled with practical sermons. And every time we open up His words, we ought to have an ear to hear what the Spirit says. We ought to have an ear to be in tune with what God wants us to do. As we come to church tonight, our prayer should be the prayer of Saul in Acts chapter 9. Lord, what do you want me to do? I acknowledge that you are the Lord. We acknowledge that you have a will for our lives. So what is it? Show me, teach me, guide me. And remember that God would have us to be doers of His Word and not hearers only. The wise man, given in the parable of the wise man and the foolish man, is the one who not only hears God's commands, but seeks to put God's commands into practice. So as I read the psalm, I want you to notice the specific calls and commands that are mentioned by David under inspiration of God, especially at the beginning of the psalm. Psalm 37, a psalm of David. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, and neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. And forsake wrath, fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be, yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The wicked plotteth against the just, and gnasheth upon him with his teeth. The Lord shall laugh at him, for he seeth that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn out the sword and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy and to slay such as be of upright conversation. Their sword shall enter into their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. A little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholdeth the righteous." The Lord knoweth the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs. They shall consume, into smoke shall they consume away. The wicked borroweth and payeth not again, but the righteous showeth mercy and giveth. For such as be blessed of him shall inherit the earth, and they that be cursed of him shall be cut off. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I have been young and now am old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. He is ever merciful, and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. Depart from evil, and do good, and dwell forevermore. For the Lord loveth judgment, and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land, and dwell therein forever. The mouth of the righteous speaketh wisdom, and his tongue talketh of judgment. The law of his God is in his heart, none of his steps shall slide. The wicked watcheth the righteous and seeketh to slay him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand, nor condemn him when he is judged. Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. I have seen the wicked in great power in spreading himself like a green bay tree, yet he passed away, and lo, he was not, yea. I sought him, but he could not be found. Mark the perfect man, and behold the upright. For the end of that man is peace. But the transgressor shall be destroyed together. The end of the wicked shall be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked And save them because they trust in Him. Now before we look at the specific commands of the Lord given in this psalm, I want to point out the three different groups of people mentioned in these 40 verses and the circumstances that are embedded within it. In Psalm 37, David mentions that there are evildoers. And such evildoers are described as the wicked and the workers of iniquity. These are unregenerate people who are children of the devil. And then we have within this psalm the righteous. And the righteous are described as the upright and the saints. And contrary to the first person, The righteous are God's children who've been given spiritual life through God's saving grace. And then we have the Lord. As you know, the Lord is the sovereign creator and sustainer of all things. The Lord is a triune being, one in essence and three in persons. This is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So see the scene of Psalm 37. There are three sets of people specifically mentioned in the psalm that are interacting with each other. There are people who don't know God, who are rebelling against God and His people. There are people who know God, who love God and are striving to live for Him. And then there is the Lord who is observing the wicked and the righteous and responding to the evil ways of the wicked and the righteous ways of the upright. And let me just say here that this scene in this psalm is the same scene that you and I live in every day. In our world, as I speak, There are two groups of people rubbing shoulders with one another in every sphere of life. And I'll give you a hint. It's not male and female. It's not Democrats and Republicans. It's not black and white. It's not rich and poor. It's not educated and uneducated. It's not churchgoers and non-churchgoers. It's not nice people and mean people. At this very moment on the world stage, there are those who know Christ and those who do not. There are those who know God savingly and those who know God superficially. There are those who are on their way to heaven and those who are on their way to hell. There are sheep and there are goats. There are wise men and foolish men. There are those who've accepted God's gift of salvation and those who are rejecting God's gift of salvation. To put it short, there are saints and then there are ain'ts. For the English teachers in here tonight. That's all God knows. And by the way, that's all that will matter in the eternal realm of things. All that matters now and all that will matter in a thousand years is whether or not you and I have been born again. There's coming a day in which God will separate His sheep from the goats. His sheep will be welcomed into God's eternal kingdom and the goats will be cast into everlasting fire. So let me take the time here tonight To ask you the question of all questions. And the question is Are you prepared to stand before the Lord? As you sit here tonight, where do you stand with God? Are you an evildoer or a follower of Christ? Are you someone who despises God or someone who desires God? Have you been born again? Have you come to the place in your life in which God has shown you that you are an evildoer before him who deserves hell? Have you come to the understanding that the wages of your sin is death? And then, most importantly, have you come to believe that what Jesus did in his death, burial, and resurrection is sufficient enough to save your soul? This is the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is the good news that the enemies of God can become the friends of God through Jesus Christ, God's Son. The message of the gospel is that God demonstrated His love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In Christ, the ungodly, the wicked, can be made righteous. In Christ, sinners can be justified. In Christ, we can know peace and joy and happiness. In Christ, our souls can be saved from the wrath to come. There are only believers and unbelievers interacting on the world stage who've been created by God and are accountable before God. So my question to you is, Which one do you belong to? Are you an evildoer pursuing evil or are you a Christian living for God? Now, returning back to the psalm, you'll notice that intertwined among the evildoers and the righteous, that God gives the righteous several reminders, exhortations and promises Within the psalm, we read of the wicked persecuting the righteous, which naturally would lead to fear and worry and concern among the righteous. And this leads then to the Lord reminding the righteous that he will judge in his own way and in his own time, which then leads to the Lord giving specific commands and exhortations to the righteous regarding how they should live until the Lord brings his judgment, which then leads, number four, to promises of blessing that will come upon those who obey his commands. So we have the wicked, and the wicked are pursuing evil. Specifically, they are persecuting the righteous. We have the righteous looking at the wicked, being fearful and afraid. The wicked causing the righteous to wonder If God even sees and if God will even do anything about it, this leads then to God seeing the righteous and their worry and concern and giving the righteous commands and exhortations to live in a right way before the wicked. And this leads also to God promising blessing to those who know Him in their seeking to do what's right. So in the remainder of our time, I want to briefly examine the specific exhortations That God gives His people as they interact in this wicked and perverse world. In this psalm, God gives us 10 specific points of application that we can put into our life so that we might be godly in this ungodly world. Here is God preaching to us. And this preacher has 10 points. And point number one, we find in verse number one, and it's repeated in verse seven, which is fret not. If you are to grow in godliness, if you are to become more like Christ in the midst of a perverse and crooked nation, the first thing you must do is don't fret. And the meaning of this is, do not become heated. Don't become worked up. Bible illustration, the sons of thunder. When they saw the enemies of Christ turn from receiving Christ's message, the sons of thunder had a storm brewing up in their souls saying, Jesus, do something about this. Call down fire from heaven to destroy your enemies. And remember what Jesus said. Jesus said, men, you do not know what spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save men's lives. They're being worked up about the evil passions of men caused them to respond in a wrong way. And I suppose we could fuse this command with the command of verse 8, which says, cease from anger and forsake wrath. And while it may be your human reaction to fume and to repay evil for evil, you must remember that the Bible says very clearly, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. So if you want to be godly in this ungodly world, if you want to live for Christ as you rub shoulders with those who want nothing to do with Christ, you must put this first command into practice. Fret not. And remember James chapter 1, James says, the wrath of man works not the righteousness of God. God's people are to be a people of mercy and grace and long-suffering and patience. So, one of the ways we can be godly in this world among ungodly men is by keeping from becoming heated. Exhortation number two. We're still in verse one. David says, "Don't be envious. Don't be envious." Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. And like Asaph in Psalm 73, wondering why the wicked often experience so much prosperity while the righteous suffer, David says that this is a common temptation of man. It's possible to become envious toward those who are doing wrong. But we must remember that if they don't have Christ, the evil, those who are pursuing wicked ways, if they don't have Christ, they have nothing that is worth envying. It's a mirage. Asaph was taken in by this mirage. It seemed that they were flourishing. It seemed that the wicked were happy. But behind the curtain, they were not. And we see that in sports stars and celebrities, musicians, don't we? For a season, it appears that they have it all. And then all at once, like a domino effect, they're in drug rehab, committing suicide, giving themselves to all sorts of sinful pleasures that just slowly kill their bodies. So, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And that's what the ungodly are losing. They're losing their soul. So, don't become envious as you look at the world, as you see the righteous among the wicked and say, Lord, why? Lord, how is it that this can be? Command number two don't be envious. Command number three, trust in the Lord. And this same command is repeated in verse number five. Verse three, trust in the Lord. Verse five, commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in Him. So instead of worrying and instead of envying, we must trust. What does it mean to trust? To trust is to believe. What does it mean to believe? It's to believe that God is God. Hebrews chapter 11. What is faith? Faith in essence is coming before God, believing that He is the sovereign one who does all things according to the counsel of His will. So trust in the Lord. Believe that He is God. Believe that God is righteous in all of His ways and holy in all of His works. In the midst of trouble, trust that God is able to sustain you. Trust that God is able to provide for you. And we see in this psalm, David giving assurance to the righteous that he has never seen the righteous begging for food. He has never seen the Father abandoning those that he has loved. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and... He shall direct thy path. Trust. Do you want to know how to live in this world? Do you want to be Christ-like? Do you want to be godly in this ungodly world? Number one, fret not. Number two, don't be envious. Number three, trust in the Lord. Number four, do good. Do good. Trust in the Lord and do good. This command is also repeated in verse 27. Depart from evil and do good. What does it mean to do good? To do good is to follow His will. Because God's will is the ultimate good. To do good is to be engaged in His work. To do good is to love others as He commands. Do good as opposed to doing evil. Pursue righteousness as opposed to pursuing sin. Do good. Why? Because Jesus says, it is through your good works that you will be a bright and burning light for the gospel. Let your light so shine before men so that they may see your good works and then glorify your Father which is in heaven. And within that context, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Doing good involves loving your enemies. Praying for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. Turning your cheek. Loving as Christ loved. Doing good. Doing good to all men. Especially those of the household of faith. So how do we live godly in this ungodly world? Number one, fret not. Number two, Don't be envious. Number three, trust in the Lord. Number four, do good. Number five, delight yourself in the Lord. And this is verse four. The command given by David. Delight thyself also in the Lord. And this speaks of communing with God. This speaks of abiding in the vine. This speaks of fellowshipping with Him. And more importantly, expecting all of our happiness from God alone. Delight yourself in God. You see, this is the difference maker between religion and true Christianity. Religion looks at God in an abstract sense. Religion looks at God in a distant Unknowable sense. But true Christianity, true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ involves delighting in Him. At His right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. True Christianity involves seeing Christ as our joy, as our hope, as the only source of happiness. And so David is saying here, if you want to live godly in this ungodly world, you must continually delight yourself in Him. So let me ask, are you doing that? Is there a time where you are like Mary, sitting at the feet of Jesus and wanting to know not just more about facts, but wanting to know more of Him? Wanting to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Don't forget, Stephen, who was martyred for his faith in Christ, was a man at the moment of his martyrdom who was filled with the joy of the Lord. His face shone, his countenance displayed that this was a man who delighted in God. And in that same passage, we read that Stephen was a man who was filled with the truths of God The truths of God's law just poured out of his heart, from his mouth, as he preached that message to those who were there that day. Delight yourself, not in sports, not in your job, not in other people, but in the Lord. Command number six, if you want to live godly in this ungodly world, you must... Commit your way unto the Lord. Verse 5, commit thy way unto the Lord. Commit. This means to cast your burdens upon the Lord. Cast thy burdens upon the Lord, and He shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. To commit your way to God means to do what Peter says in 1 Peter. Casting all your care upon Him. Knowing that He cares for you. To commit your way to the Lord is to come before the Lord saying, Lord, you're the potter, I'm the clay, and my only desire is to do your will for the glory of your name. To commit your way to God is to say, in essence, I can't, Lord, but you can. Commit, roll off your burdens. Roll off your trials and your trouble on the Lord. I like what Martin Luther says. He says, pray and let God worry. Well, we know that God doesn't worry. God doesn't sit up in heaven doing this, saying, oh, what am I going to do? I just don't know. And start sweating. That's what we do. God's perfect, He's infinitely holy. So, in our praying, what is prayer in its essence? committing all of our care to Him. I don't understand it. I don't know how it's going to come to pass, but Lord, I know that You are God and God alone and that with You all things are possible. With You nothing is hard. Commit your way unto the Lord. And remember, in the journey of life, as we walk on the straight and narrow path, He's the guide. He's the shepherd. Commit your trust to Him. You know the way that I should go, Lord, so I'm committing to follow you. Even though it's through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm committing. Your way is right. You've got a purpose behind it all. You want to live godly in an ungodly world? You need to commit yourself wholly to the Lord, not partially. Wholly. And then number seven. How can we live godly in this ungodly world? What are the ways that we can grow in godliness, number seven, rest in the Lord. And this is in verse number seven. Rest in the Lord. And this literally means to be silent to the Lord. This means to listen to the Lord. James says, be swift to hear and slow to speak. Don't be quick to question His purposes. Don't be foolish to doubt His ways. To rest is to be at ease in Him. And I think of the disciples who were on the boat in the midst of the storm and they came to Jesus saying, Master, awake. We perish. Master, wake up. We're all going to die. That is the opposite of resting. Jesus was resting. Obviously, He's God. He's the Savior. He's the one who has power over the winds and the waves. But in the souls of the disciples, they were agitated. They were not waiting on the Lord. They were quick to assume that Christ had brought them into the midst of the sea to kill them. Just like Israel in the wilderness. Remember? Were they resting in the Lord? No. By their mouth, they were saying, God, you brought Moses out here to kill us. There were not enough cemeteries back in Egypt, so you had to bring us out here into the open land to have a big funeral. No, rest in the Lord. And then connected with this is, Point number eight, wait patiently for the Lord. Verse seven, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. And this word wait is also repeated in verse number 34, wait on the Lord. And this is self-explanatory, isn't it? To wait patiently for the Lord means don't run ahead of Him. Don't be like Abraham when God has given a promise and you're waiting for that promise to come to pass to assume that God somehow forgot. And you now need to take matters into your own hand. That's not waiting patiently. Wait. Be still and know that God is God. David says, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Wait. Wait. Wait for the answer. Wait in prayer. Now, waiting is not the ceasing of activity. It's not the ceasing of seeking the Lord. Waiting is committing yourself to him. As you do His holy will. Wait. Wait. Somebody's done you wrong and you're tempted to get back at them? Don't do it. Wait. Wait patiently. God has a way of handling things better than you do. Wait. You're praying and you haven't seen that prayer answered yet and you're tempted to just Make that prayer be answered in your own way? Wait. Wait. God's ways are so much better than our ways. Isaiah tells us his ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Wait. Wait. And then, number nine, depart from evil. Verse 27. If you want to live godly in this ungodly world, you need to depart from evil. Depart from evil. And do good and dwell forevermore. And this is, in essence, the sum of all that is said in this psalm. As Christians, God would have us to avoid all sin. God wants us to be like Job. Remember, Job was a righteous man. And his righteousness is described for us in two ways. Job was a man who feared God and turned away from evil. That's the essence of holiness, that's the essence of the Christian life. Fear God, keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Fear Him. Fear Him. Don't fear those who are able to kill the body, but fear Him who's able to destroy both your body and soul in hell. Fear Him and turn away from evil. Fear Him and keep His commandments. Titus 2, verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Romans 12, verse 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do you want to be Christ-like in this world? Do you want to live godly? As God commands of us, well, it's obvious. Depart from evil. Don't be like the evildoers. Don't see how close you can get to sin. Stay away from it. Pursue righteousness and godliness. Lay hold on eternity. Depart from evil. And then command number 10, verse 34. Keep his way. Wait on the Lord. We've already looked at that. And then the final command given after that phrase, verse 34, and keep His way. Walk in His path. Observe His commands. Do not stray to the left hand or to the right. Keep running your race, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, as one who's grateful for saving your soul. So how can we live godly in the midst of ungodliness? How is it that we can do what Jesus says in Matthew 6:33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? What does that look like? It looks like fretting not. Don't be envious. Trust in the Lord. Do good. Delight yourself in the Lord. Commit your way unto the Lord. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for the Lord, depart from evil, and keep His way. So then the question is, why? Why should we do this? Verse 10, For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. And then verse 11, The meek shall inherit the earth. Why should we seek to live godly in Christ Jesus in the midst of this wicked world? Verse 17, The arms of the wicked shall be broken. Verse 29, the righteous shall inherit the land. Verse 38, the transgressors shall be destroyed. The Lord will deliver the righteous. Those are the two motivations as to why we should do what God wants us to do in this psalm. We should do what He says because He promises to judge the wicked who are doing wrong and He promises to bless the righteous who are doing right. So in summary, what does God expect of His children? What does God expect of us tonight? Here it is. Being entirely consumed with His will, His word, and His work. What does God want of us? He wants us to walk more closely with Him. He wants us to get nearer to Christ. If you're here tonight asking, what is God's will for my life? This is it. God's will is for you to know Him. And not just in an intellectual sense, but in a personal sense, in an experiential sense. This is God's will for your life. You see, Christianity is more than just Sunday religion. It's more than just putting on Jesus at 11 o'clock and then taking Him off at 1230. Christianity involves making the things of Christ your life. For me to live as Christ, to die as gain. When Christ shall appear, who is our life, then we shall appear with Him in glory. Did you catch the points again? Notice the God emphasis. Fret not, don't be envious. Trust in the Lord, do good. Delight yourself in the Lord. Commit your way unto the Lord. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for the Lord. Depart from evil and keep His way. Where's the focus? Focus is on God, the Lord, the one who is the one that we know by His grace. Striving to be godly in an ungodly world. These are the ingredients. So the question is, will we follow the ingredients so that we might help others and honor Him?